Today we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 50. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. As we just have a few chapters left in the book of Jeremiah, and they're kind of longer chapters, and so we're just going to take them one at a time. You know, but when you read the Bible, uh, it's interesting. I, I think maybe you've heard the fact that it's a tale of two cities. And so the city of Babylon and the city of Jerusalem. Now we're coming now to Jeremiah chapter 50 in which the, the Lord you know, predicts the judgment of Babylon. We're going to see that in this chapter as well as the next chapter. Jeremiah mentions Babylon 169 times in his book. And so there's definitely an emphasis on this uh, book and we're going to see in this, uh, you know, this city what God wants to speak to us. Uh, a lot of kind of like um, things that are deep that I think that we need to take to heart. You know, I, I was thinking the, the other day and I, I'll tell you guys a couple of things that happened to me this week. Um, my son and I were having a conversation and so he is taking physics right now and, uh, you know, and some other classes, uh, cal calculus too, or something like that. And anyways, he talks about things that really kind of go over my head. But some of the basic things, unfortunately, I wasn't paying attention to in school. How many of you guys are familiar with Newton's third law? I'm just curious. How many of you are, are you know what Newton's third law is? Okay, so three of you. And so... Um, <laughs> I don't feel so bad. More than likely, you guys have heard it before. But according to Newton, whenever objects A and B interact with each other, they exert forces upon each other. And so, for example, you're sitting in your chair. When you sit in your chair, your body exerts a downward force on the chair, and the chair exerts an upward force on your body. Now, that might be something you're not aware of, right? And so there are two forces resulting from this interaction, a force on the chair and a force on your body. It, it, one, his, his teacher was even telling him that every time you bite the cheeseburger, the cheeseburger bites you back, so to speak. And so, you know, it's a really interesting thing. And so him and I were having this conversation, and in the midst of our conversation, I love to get in these conversations with my son, we're talking about um, how God intervenes in our life. And so... You know, there's different uh, perspectives. Some people believe the only time that God really intervenes is they call it, theologians call it redemptive purposes. And so other than, you know, just living your life and you're doing your thing and you're, you know, you're smoking and so that's why you get cancer and whatever you're drinking, that's why you get cirrhosis of the liver and just everything. Like there's a lot of people, even theologians, who believe that God doesn't really intervene. He's not really involved unless it's like a major redemptive purpose decision. And so we're having this conversation. We're going back and forth. We're talking about things because... You know, others see it differently and some, even deists, will go to the extreme and they'll say that God made everything and now he's completely not involved. It's kind of like winding up a clock and just letting it go. And so you have the deist, you have the theologian who believes that he does re um, intervene in redemptive purposes. And so then you have people like myself who believe that, I believe that God is involved in every single thing, every single thing. You throw the dice and I'm playing Yahtzee with my, my wife and I, I, I win because God is the one that, you know, <laughs> he controls the dice. I'm just joking. She usually wins. But all I'm saying is that, so you get, we were having this conversation, we're going back and forth, and next thing you know, we're talking about Newton's law. We're just getting into it, and he's telling me all these things, that I'm really fascinated by it. Formally stated, Newton's third law is, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. 
And so believe it or not, if you hit somebody, um, I wouldn't encourage you to do that, but I'm just saying they hit you back. It's just the way it works. And so that's the laws of physics. And so anyways, we're having this conversation. And I said, I want to watch something on television. I, 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 I turn on this show. It's got whatever, 17 seasons. I pick episode, you know, this or whatever, and, and I turn it on, and, and right as this show begins, you'll never guess what it opened up with. Newton's third law. <laughs> Newton's third law. What in the world are you talking physics on this, you know, you know this program right here? I mean, I'm, I'm just tripping out. I'm like, wow, Aaron, look at this. The God of the universe was listening to our conversation He put it in my heart to put on this TV show right here. And out of all these hundreds of episodes, he says, I want you to watch that one. And the reason is because they're going to be talking about Newton's Law. That's what you guys were just chopping it up about right now. Because I want to show you that I, I hear everything and I'm involved in everything in your life. And it was really, really cool just to see that. And so you're wondering, what has that got to do with the study tonight? And here's the thing. You know, the, the world, in one sense, what, what's going on is they're hitting, like they're kind of like, you know, they're, they're mocking God. They're coming against God. They're opposing God. They're even aggressive against God. They're aggressive against His truth. They're aggressive against Christians. And so, in one sense, you could almost visualize them, you know, you know getting violent with God spiritually. But the thing is, they, got, they don't know Newton's law because God's going to strike back. And that's what we're going to see in, we see it in, 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 in Jeremiah. We see it as he's talked about how God is going to judge the nations. And so, you know, you're here today and, you know, I hope that doesn't freak you out. I hope that doesn't scare you because you have two options. You can either face Jesus as the, the lion or you can face Jesus as the lamb. Uh, don't you like lambs? Lambs are kind of cool. You know, you ever pet one and they're really soft and gentle and docile and then, you know, imagine going into a ferocious lion's den, one that's not tamed. How, how We wouldn't have a chance. And so when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to comfort you on this. Don't worry. You know, we're not perfect yet. We haven't arrived yet. But when you put your faith in Christ, he died for you on a cross, he rose again then you will face, we will face Jesus as the Lamb. And you're here today. And the thing I was thinking about, it, I was over there, I was like, wow, Lord, look at these people coming to a midweek service. And I, I, the church has been praying, we're praying, and we're going to keep praying. We're going to start praying more. You should have seen last Sunday's night prayer meeting. It was just so amazing, so beautiful. We just knew the Holy Spirit was here. It was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. And it's just the beginning of what God is going to do. And so we're praying, we're praying, and your son, your daughter, your loved one, your friends, they're going to start they're going to get saved. God is going to work, right? And so I was like, wow, Lord, thank you that they're here because I know you are working in their life. You are working in their life. For we are, the Bible says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared before, and then we should walk in them. And so to me, it's a blessing. You're not my workmanship. I get blessed that you're here, but you're God's workmanship. He's working in your life. 
And so some of you here, it's so cool to see you're making progress. And of course, we'll always continue to need to make progress, right? We'll never like arrive on this side of time. And so you're, you're making progress. There might be someone here though tonight who you're living, you don't really care about God. And as a matter of fact, you don't think about it for a second. You don't even really want to be here. There might be someone like that here tonight. You're not in right relationship with God. Or maybe someone is watching online. In all reality, I, I don't know how that would happen, but somehow maybe your parents are saying, here, watch this. Um, and you're like, okay, if you give me pizza afterwards or something like that, right? You worked out a deal with them. And, and so I just want to say to you, you can get right with God today. You can give him your heart. You can surrender your life to him. Tonight would be an opportunity for you. That's why God brought you here tonight, so that you can surrender everything to him. But if you don't want to, if you don't want to, I'm going to make you a promise. You will face the wrath of God because you refuse to accept him as the lamb. And I'm not messing around. There is a God. There is a creator. There is life. There is justice. There is truth. There is a gospel. We're not messing around here. It's real. And so we see it in the Bible. You know, God extends himself as the lamb who died for us. And I just pray that we would put our faith in him. And then we go out and hopefully we grow and we help others. Very simple. And so if you're here and you're struggling Open your heart, not to me, not to me. Open your heart to God. Look what we read here in in Jeremiah chapter 50. It says, The word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. And so we've gone over other nations that have Uh, experienced the prophecies of judgment. Now we come to Babylon. Warren Wiersbe said this prophecy was given in the fourth year of Zedekiah's reign in 593 BC. And Jeremiah sent it with Baruch's brother, Sarahiah, to be read publicly in Babylon. The book was to be read publicly in Babylon and then in solemn ceremony they, they tied a rock around it and then they threw it and they threw it into the Euphrates River where it was symbolic of the nation of Babylon sinking into the waters. And so you read the last portion of Jeremiah 51 and you'll see how this all happened. How, and you know, you got it on Jeremiah, but he also wrote it on a different scroll. Uh, this guy goes to Babylon and remember, there are slaves there. There are Jews there because there were three deportations 605, 597. So there's already Jews that are there and 586. And that would come subsequent to this prophecy. But it would encourage them because basically what we're going to see, a tale of two cities, what, what, we're, what we're seeing right now is we're seeing like it looks like it's the end of Jerusalem. It looks like it's the end of Israel. It looks like it's the end of, of Judah. It looks like it's the end of the Jews. I mean, they are being wiped out and they're being taken to to Babylon and it looks like this is just an an invincible nation. I mean, Babylon, their, their walls were 300 feet high. I mean, they would have chariot races side by side on their walls. It was a circumference of 56 miles around this city. 
And so when you're looking at this, you're looking at, wow, Israel's taken away, Judah's taken away. It looks like it's the end of Jerusalem and how, you know, this city, Babylon, they're invincible. This is what it looks like. But as Jeremiah writes the, the, the prophecy, he says, it's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. It is the end of Babylon. And it is uh, Jerusalem, it is God's people, Israel, that will enter into this covenant forever and ever and ever. And, and so when we look at this Babylon, you go back to Genesis chapter 11, and that's where they built the Tower of Babel. And so, again, tale of two cities. Babylon is literal. There is a city over there in Iraq. Saddam Hussein attempted to rebuild it. There are some theologians who believe this is literal. Um, it's going to be, you know, what we have, the, the dual horizon prophecy that happens in part in this time, but primarily in the future. Um, but what we're, we're going to see is that, you know, some say it's literal, but some say it's more symbolic. If you read Revelation 17 and 18, that's future, and that is the destruction of commercial Babylon and religious Babylon. And so here's the thing. Okay, we're going to read it. We know it's literal. We know it took place there in 539 BC when the, the Medo-Persians conquered Babylon. But we know it's primarily in the future. And so this is kind of something where you guys have to decide. Is this um, like just literal? Will there be that city there in Iraq that they will literally rebuild and it will become a successful, wealthy city and literally uh, will be demolished, as it says in Revelation 17 and 18? Or is it symbolic? Now, I kind of lean maybe, uh, and again, forgive me for this, but I kind of lean maybe towards the symbolic side because of the fact that Babel has always been like the antithesis to Jerusalem. And what it really symbolizes is Satan's system. Satan's system. First uh, John 5.19, it says, The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so, I don't know, there's a lot of options, I guess you could say, but, you know, some might say it is actually the city of New York. You know, that what's going to happen is this city, which is uh, the successful city, the commercial city, you know, uh, of the United States of America. Now, I don't know what you guys think. Like, maybe the, the, the most powerful city or significant city in the world today would be uh, somewhere in China or some other place that you might think of. But uh, there are those who believe, no, really, the, the most significant city, uh, John Lennon was one of them. He, he said that jo New York is like, is, was, is like Rome, that this is the city. So all I'm saying is that this kind of stuff, we start thinking... And all I know is this, that the, 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 this third law of Newton, that as they're hitting God and they're hitting God's people, that God will hit them back and God's going to wipe them out. And it was so cool how we were praying for peace because one day that peace will come, but it can only come when Jesus comes. And so we're going to see that. But anyways, giving that background, um, we read in verse 2, Declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim, do not conceal it. Say, Babylon is taking 
Baal is shamed. Now, Baal is probably in reference to the god Baal. That's kind of the way they pronounced it. So this is the sun god. Baal is shamed. Merodach is broken in pieces. The Babylonian god Marduk. Her idols are humiliated. Her images are broken in pieces. And so the Babylonians thought that their gods gave them the victory. And here Jeremiah says their, their gods are nothing but literally in the Hebrew, wooden blocks and dung droppings. This is, these are not real gods. And you guys know about it. Think about it. How, how silly, you know, how someone can make an idol and, and worship it. You know, and they made it with their own hands. But, you know, we know that, unfortunately, people do that today. I, it doesn't make any sense to me how anyone could put anyone before God. How anyone could put anything before God. But we do it all the time. That's idolatry. So this is what they did. They were giving their gods the glory because of the victories that they had received. But, but God says, no, they're going to be broken. They're going to be humiliated. Verse 3, For out of the north a nation comes up against her, which shall make her land desolate, and no one shall dwell therein. They shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. And so when the Babylonians were conquered in 539, they, they still continued to live there. You know, it was a relatively peaceful, if you could say that, conquering by the Medo-Persians. They simply diverted the Euphrates River. It kind of dried up right there, and then they kind of entered in. There was a small battle right here, a small scuffle, and then basically the Babylonians opened up the gates, and so they're, they're still living there. So in, in one sense, we look at where it says right here, no one shall dwell therein, and we're going to see this over and over again. That's, that's future, and it's future. This first section right here, verses 1 through 3, it, it kind of presents God as the lion who's going to judge the world. He's going to judge Babylon. But then look at the lamb in verse 4. And it says, in those days, and that's significant because now we're linking the two as far as time frame goes. And in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together with continual weeping. They shall come and seek the Lord their God they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord, notice, in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. And so basically he's saying when this happens to Babylon, the Jews will now finally seek the Lord in this relationship that they've never had before, literally in the everlasting covenant. And so again, partial fulfillment in those days, but primarily a future fulfillment when the Jews do receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, which is the last half of the tribulation period. And he mentions Israel, and he mentions Judah being reconciled. He mentions them, this continual weeping. And the Bible says, blessed are those who weep, right? Because we'll be comforted. Because when we weep over our sins, or when they weep considering what they did to Jesus, the Bible talks about that. Then, you know, what we find is that they're going to come to the Lord. And it's significant, even what it says there in verse 5, they shall ask the way to Zion. 
And that's something a Jew would never do because the Jews were very prideful. They thought they had the covenant. They didn't need anything from, you know, these Christians and they would never humble themselves to think that they would need any type of direction. But here, it's just so beautiful to see the humility there. You know, if I could just kind of give it like a little sidebar there, it would be like someone saying, hey, how do you get to heaven? How can I have my sins forgiven? You know, that beautiful humility, if it's a genuine question from sincerity, this is what what they're saying. And so it's so cool to see the Lord as, yeah, the lion, and then the way that he's going to restore the Jews, his people. Look what he says in verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray they have turned them away on the mountains they have gone from the mountain to hill they have forgotten their resting place and and it's when when you look at this right here it's an interesting passage because what we find right here is the shepherds uh, would include the civil leaders as well as the king and his administration but it primarily refers to the spiritual leaders of the land and so, um, like Kevin was saying earlier, you know, we, we do want to make sure that we vote biblical values, that we vote, you know, uh, and we legislate and we do our best to take care of those governmental things. But, but you guys know this, really, that the, the ultimate, like, you know, I guess you could say influence in our nation are, is the church. It's the church. But if the shepherds are not right with God, then the church will go astray. And then the, the families, the societies, the, the countries will feel it. And so, yeah, there's a civil responsibility for those leaders. But it's something really that the church and the spiritual leaders need to understand. And so right here in verse 6, God says, My, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. How does this happen? How do shepherds lead people astray? Well, number one, there's a lot of people who have those positions as shepherds and they're not even saved. They're not even born again. There's a lot of them out there. They may have graduated or somehow they worked their way up the ladder. Maybe they put on a really good show, but they're not really born again. Sometimes that's what happens leaders who don't know the Lord. It also happens when leaders don't know the word of the Lord, so they don't follow the Lord. And that can very easily happen. And so we've always told you guys, a leader, he knows the way. And he goes the way and shows the way. A good leader is simply a good follower of Jesus Christ. But you might have someone, yeah, they do know the Lord, but they're not in the word. They're not in prayer. They don't have this relationship with God. They're not following God. They're in it for themselves and not the Lord. And so this is how leaders can lead people away. It happens when shepherds forget the responsibility we have to tend to the flock and to teach them God's word. You know, I mean, in all reality, that's my primary responsibility. When Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, tend them, but twice he said, feed them. Feed them the Bible. Feed them God's word. But sometimes you get guys who are leaders and they don't see that as their primary responsibility. It happens when shepherds don't point people to their place of rest, which is what he mentions right here. 
And that rest is a place that is rooted in a simple yet wonderful relationship with God. You know, we don't want to put heavy burdens on you. You know, we all have our personal convictions and hopefully we're disciplined people. But your convictions might be different than my convictions. All I know is this, that my primary responsibility is pointed to Jesus because he did the work on the cross. And when you put your faith in him, you can rest in him. Remember Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. I know you guys know it. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus said, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How are you doing in your relationship with the Lord? You know, do you have that peace? I hope you do. I hope you know the blood is enough to wash away your sins. And that gives you that peace. That, that gives you that rest. And so now as a Christian man, though, I'm going to go and I'm going to be reading my Bible as if my life depends on it. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be working. I, have a, I don't want to sin. I want to obey. But it's not in order to make God love me. It's not in order to earn my salvation. I already know I'm saved. I already know that. And so right here, these shepherds, they unfortunately were off in so many ways of course, we know the Jews were very, very legalistic, and it definitely would apply even to the days of Christ when the Pharisees were there. One last thing, shepherds leading people astray, that Pastor Chuck really emphasized liberal theology. He said those who are involved in ministry need to realize the awesome responsibility in nurturing and strengthening the sheep and in leading them to their resting place. He talked about how, uh, you know, sometimes these churches, they start saying that the Bible's not really God's word and next thing you know, it, there wasn't really a virgin birth or not, it's not all inspired, not every jot and tittle and, you know, this is what Jesus really said and be careful of liberal theology. The beautiful thing now, huh, guys, is you have the Bible, you can read it and if I ever tell you something that's off, you can throw tomatoes at me, right? Or if it's really bad, you can throw rocks at me. <laughs> so don't ever let them lead you astray. Unfortunately, there are some who don't, they're not Bereans. But what, what, what the Babylonians did, look at verse 7. All who found them have devoured them. And their adversary said, we have not offended because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, the the, the, the Lord, the hope of, of their fathers. You know, and, and they, were, they were devouring them. Definitely reminds me of that passage in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, they did sin against the Lord, but it didn't give the Babylonians the right to gloat over God's people, so God would then judge the Babylonians. Look at verse 8. He says, uh, move from the midst of Babylon. He's telling his people to flee. Move from the midst of Babylon. Go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be like the rams before the flocks. And so the male goats were always the first to leave the enclosure. 
And it kind of goes hand in hand with what we read in the book of Revelation. Same thing, the Lord tells them to, to leave, you know, leave the satanic system, leave that, you know, commercial, you know, religious, you know, ecumenical system, leave that. God says, because I'm about to judge. You know, he tells them to move like the males, always the first one to leave the enclosure. Verse 9, for behold, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be captured. Their arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. Uh, I think of those guided missiles, you know, (laughs) nowadays. None shall return in vain, and Chaldea shall become plunder. All who plunder her shall be satisfied, says the Lord. Why? Because you were glad, because you rejoiced, you destroyers of my heritage, because you have grown fat like a heifer threshing grain, and you bellow like bulls. And, and again, Babylon was judged in 539 B.C. I don't want to take away from that. It did happen. And even throughout history, it's interesting. If you were to go to Iraq today, you would still see the ruins of that Babylonian city. You could still see the ruins of it. You know, Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild it, but you guys know what happened to him, right? And so... Looking at this right here, like I said earlier, there are some Bible teachers who take the land to be the literal land of Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq. Uh, But it also brings up something I thought was kind of interesting. Now, you know, Iraq was in the news. Do you guys remember the, 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 the Gulf War, right? If you go back to the Gulf War, you'll find that it was an armed conflict between Iraq and a 42 country coalition led by the United States of America. The coalition efforts against Iraq were carried out in two phases. One, Operation Desert Shield, which marked the military buildup from August to January 1991. And then the second was the Operation Desert Storm, which began with the aerial bombing campaign on January 17, 1991, and it led to the American victory and liberation of Kuwait in February 28, 1991. And, and so, again, you know, you might think, well, that's got nothing to do with it. You know, for me, when, when, I, when I look at this, I'm like, okay, the Isaiah 13, and, and Isaiah 13 talks about this, and Jeremiah 50 and 51 talk about, like, the, the wiping out of Babylon it didn't turn out to be the complete fulfillment because we know there are still some living there today. But let me just propose this to you. What if God was just trying to get our attention? You know, just trying to get our attention. I've been talking about Babylon. I've been talking about how I'm going to judge it at the end. And we don't know like the actual literal, how it's all going to pan out. But we do know this is very, very close. It's really, in one sense, too close for comfort, too close to be a comfortable Christian. I think God is saying that because we saw all those nations come against Babylon. And what if God just wanted to get us ready because there was this possibility that Babylon might symbolize another nation like our, our nation or like I said, other cities. And so you read Revelation 17 and 18 
and you see the religious Babylon, the commercial Babylon, you see the fact that Jeremiah mentions 169 times, you read, it's the second most you know, mentioned city in the Bible, beginning in Genesis chapter 11, when the organization tried to reach the heavens, they defied God. That's the system that we're living in now, and God is just saying, I'm kind of like putting all these things out there so that you be ready, Manny. You be ready. Not just messing around ready. I'm talking about a ready that says you pray when I tell you to pray and you read your Bible when I tell you to read your Bible and you treat your wife and your kids a certain way and if someone comes against you, you love them. All the different things that, that make for real Christians. You know? We got to be ready. I know that. And so, uh, notice again, verse 12, your, your mother, he tells them, shall be deeply ashamed. She who bore you shall be ashamed. Behold, the least of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land and a desert. Because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly desolate. Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at all her plagues. You know, Charles Ryrie, he said, the Persians captured Babylon in 539 B.C., and something you also read about in the book of Daniel, chapter 5, 30 and 31. But if you continue on through history, in 514, Darius Histaspis put down a revolt, partially destroyed the walls. Xerxes demolished the walls and temples of Babylon in 478. Subsequent attempts to restore the city have been unsuccessful, although at the end of the 20th century, Iraq made another attempt but failed to complete it. And so we see this fulfilled in history and God is just saying, I'm going to deal with you. Verse 14, put yourself in in array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows for she has sinned against the Lord. Shout against her all around. She has given her hand, her foundations have fallen, her walls are thrown down. Now, think about this. Jeremiah is writing this and at the height of Babylon's power. You know, he's writing this at a time where their walls, like I said, 56 miles in circumference, 300 feet tall. I mean, they were so wide, they had chariot races on them. But here, their walls are going to get thrown down for it is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her as she has done, so do to her cut off the sower from Babylon and him who handles the sickle at harvest time for fear of the oppressing sword. Everyone shall turn to his own people and everyone shall flee to his own land. And, and so he uses the word vengeance and it is vengeance, right? Um, the world needs to know and maybe even the church needs to know that when they mistreat God's people, then God is going to deal with them. You guys know how that is, right? You have a loved one and somebody messes around with your loved one. I mean, how many of you here, you you go take care of business, right? Now that we're Christians, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And so what we find right here, and I was even thinking the children, how so many children are mistreated Sometimes they're mistreated by their parents, their relatives, their uncle. Man, we have to be 
under, we have to be aware that God is going to bring vengeance. God's going to bring justice. God's going to bring perfect justice. And every wrong will be made right. Every single one. Then we have to understand this. They've sinned against the Lord. Verse 17, Israel is like scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria devoured him. Now, at last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, and that is the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. But I will bring back Israel to his home, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, his soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead. You know, Israel was like these scattered sheep. You guys know sheep are defenseless, right? Devoured by Assyria, bones broken by Babylon. And so God would deal with them. Assyria, of course, we know fell in 609 B.C., and Babylon in 539. And like we talked about in the beginning, it looked like the end of the Jews. And it looked like this nation Babylon was invincible. But here we are, you know, all this time later, and there is Israel in the land, and there is no Babylon. And so when you see this right here, it's really interesting to me also because it says in verse 19, I will bring back Israel to his home, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. And so uh, Carmel was on the west side of the Jordan. Uh, Bashan was on the east side of the Jordan. And there were these lush places, man, where God was going to bless them. And so just in case, I want to encourage you, because remember, he's writing this and the Jews are in slavery. Just in case you're here and you've been obeying and his life has been hard. And it seems like the other guys are the ones that are getting you know, all the breaks. You just keep doing the right thing because eventually they're going to get justice, the judgment, and we will be rewarded. And so these are things that are amazing. Look at in verse 20. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none, and the sins of Judah but they shall not be found for I will pardon those whom I preserve. Isn't that amazing? You know, and it's to us when we think of the fact that we are redeemed, blood-bought believers, how God sees no sin, that when he looks at you, you're covered with the righteousness of Christ. Uh, How many of you guys think that God uh, forgets your sins? Because it, it, it says that right there. It says that. I'm sorry, man, but we have, you know, to look at this. And, you know, look at what it says in Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Think about that. Jeremiah 31, 34. No more shall every nation teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. How many of you here are really good at remembering other people's sins? I'm just curious. You know? 
we have to be a lot more like God. I, I, sometimes I have this conversation with Henry because he knows how I have such a horrible memory, right? And so we'll be talking about things and he'll say, yeah, like I told you this yesterday, I guess you forgot. Um, no, I'm just joking. It's, it's not that bad. But we'll just be talking about things and I just forget. I forget things. And so we laugh, we chuckle, and he says, you know, sometimes, Manny, it's good. It's good. Because I, I can't remember those things and it, what, a lot of times what, it helps me because I don't have bitterness you know and it's kind of cool when God gives you the capacity just to forgive and to forget because that's what he does towards us and he can't find the sins look at Micah seven nineteen. he will again have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities you will cast our sins all our, all our sins <laughs> into the depths of the sea my pastor used to say, and then he puts up a sign that says, no fishing. <laughs> it's true. This is amazing. You, you see the lion, and you're like, whoa. But then you see the lamb who washes away all our sins. That's who we are when we put our faith in Christ. Verse 21, go up a, against the land of, of Merathame. Now, Merathame, it means double rebellion. Go up against the land of double rebellion and against the inhabitants of Pecod, and that means punishment. Waste and utterly destroy them, says the Lord, and do according to all that I have commanded you. And so the double rebellion might be two things. Number one, it might be the fact the way that they, you know, just desecrated the Jews. They, they just destroyed the Jews and were all happy and gloated about it, as well as the temple. Now, there are some people who say that. You got my people, and you also did this to Solomon's temple, right? That, that's one way of looking at it. Other people will look at it as, the like I talked already, the partial fulfillment of that day and then the future fulfillment of the day to come. And so there was this double rebellion and we see the sacrilege. Even if you get a chance, I want to encourage you to read Daniel chapter 5. Remember, they're drinking from the vessels from the temple that they had brought over. They were drinking from the gold vessels that were holy, that were set apart unto God, and they were worshiping their own gods. And that's when, remember, the handwriting came on the wall, right? And hey, you guys have been weighed in the balance and you found wanting. And so Daniel came and he read it and he said, you guys are history. <laughs> And so look at verse 22. A sound of battle is in the land and of great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth has been cut apart and broken. And I couldn't help but think of Thor. I'm sorry, but I just thought of the hammer right there, man. Uh, the hammer of the whole earth has been cut apart and broken. How Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. I have laid a snare for you, God says. You have indeed been trapped, O Babylon, and you were not aware. You have been found and also caught because you have contended against the Lord. All this legislation and all these arrogant politicians and people in positions of power who are coming against God, don't you know their day will come? I mean, this is what we see they did. Verse 25, the Lord has opened his armory and brought out the weapons of his indignation. Think about that. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the farthest borders. Open her storehouses. Cast her up as heaps of ruins and destroy her utterly. 
Let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bulls. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day has come, the time of their punishment. And all I know is that one day, all evil, all demons, the devil himself, it's all going to be thrown into the lake of fire. You can read it, Revelation 20, and there's going to be a new heaven and the new earth and no unrighteousness there. And in one sense, this is really what God is saying. I know you guys see the craziness that's going on in the world today and it just grieves us and it breaks our heart every day like Lot. It says it it tormented his soul. We're we're like that. We're almost like that, right? Although Lot was a little bit different because he was carnal, so he didn't have his eyes on the Lord. We can have our eyes on the Lord and we can actually go through it a, a little differently, but we just, it's so cool to know that one day God is going to, He's going to eradicate evil and we will have eternity in heaven. You know, the, the voice of those, it says in verse 28, who flee and escape from the land of Babylon, declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God. Notice it says the vengeance of his temple. We talked about how they destroyed the temple. Call together the archers against Babylon, all you who bend the bow and camp against it all around, let none of them escape. Who knows? Maybe that's even in reference to angels. But, you know, repay her according to her work, according to all she has done due to her, for she has been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. And I'll tell you what, the Holy One of Israel is Jesus. You see people today and the way that they take his name in vain. And these movies, there's this one movie hundreds of times, hundreds of times, they take the name of Jesus in, in vain. Don't you know that God hears every single one? It says, uh, verse 34, therefore her young men shall fall in the streets and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord. Behold, I'm against you, O most haughty one, says the Lord, God of hosts, for your day has come, the time that I will punish you. The most proud shall stumble and fall and no one will raise him up. I will kindle a fire in his cities and it will devour all around him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, that the children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Israel. All who took them captive have held them fast. In other words, they were imprisoned. They were in this grip of steel, literally is what it says. So again, they're there in Babylon. They refused to let them go. But don't you love this? Verse 34, their redeemer is strong. I love that. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will thoroughly plead their case that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword is against the Chaldeans, says the Lord. And notice how often the sword is mentioned, against the inhabitants of Babylon and against her princes and her wise men. A sword is against the soothsayers and they will be fools. A sword is against her mighty men and they will be dismayed. A a sword is against their horses, against their chariots and against all the foreigners or mixed people who are in their midst and they will become like women. A, A sword is against her treasures and they will be robbed. And again, just, uh, you know, in case, you know, remember Psalm 73? You know, this guy is thinking, I I don't get it, man. I'm trying to serve the Lord, and, 
you know, I'm just, it's hard for me, but I look at these other wicked people and they seem so successful. And, and, you know, this guy, you know, he says, I almost stumbled and fell away from God until I went into the house of the Lord and I found out their end. See, this is what we're seeing today. The end. Justice. Jesus will come as the lion. And I think it's very soon. Verse 38 is interesting. It says, a drought is against her waters and they will be dried up. And that's exactly how the Persians conquered Babylon is they diverted the Babylonian river, I mean the Euphrates river, and they were then able to enter in, won a little scuffle of a battle and then the gates were open. And so some believe that that's what that's in reference for. for. For it is the land of carved images and they are insane with their idols. Now, that's an interesting thing, insane with their idols. Some people, it seems like they're, like they're intelligent. It seems like they're, 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 you know, it seems like they're smart, you know, and they, they almost look successful in, in the world. But isn't it crazy, some of the things they believe? You know, the, the people who are, you know, you know, whatever, fortune tellers, astrologers, some of these fairy tale religions, I mean, this is what he says. They're, they're insane with their idols. Therefore, the wild desert beast shall dwell there with the jackals and the ostriches shall dwell in it. It shall be inhabited no more for how long? Forever. Nor shall it be dwelt from generation to generation as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord. So no one shall reside there nor son of man dwell in it. Behold, a people shall come from the north and a great nation. And notice many kings, not just the Medo-Persians, many kings shall be raised up. Notice from the ends of the earth, they shall hold the bow and the lance. They They are cruel and shall not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea. They shall ride on horses set in array like a man for the battle against you, O daughter of Babylon." The king of Babylon has heard the report about them and his hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him, pangs as of a woman in childbirth. And, and again, we don't know for sure, but you know, what if the, the king of Babylon was possessed by the devil? What if that was going on? And I wouldn't be surprised. I'll bet you, uh, although I don't have $100, I bet you $100 that, that Hitler was possessed by the devil, you know? So anyways, you look at this, verse 44, he behold, he shall come up like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong, but I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is the chosen man that I may appoint over her for who is like me? Who will arraign me, God says, and who is that shepherd who will withstand me? And of course, we know there's no one who can withstand Jesus can come against Jesus and be victorious against Jesus. And so in verse 35, therefore hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Babylon. In other words, what he has planned against Babylon and his purposes that he has proposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he will make their dwelling place desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, notice the earth trembles and the cry is heard among the nations. 
You know, when I look at this, I'm like, okay, Lord, I definitely don't want to be in Babylon when you judge. I think maybe there's a literal aspect to this and God is going to judge this place. But I also believe that there is just a spiritual geography that God is saying. And we read it in the book of Revelation, come out of her, my people. Come out of the world. Come out of the world and make sure you're holy unto me. Because I, I, I want to face Jesus not as the lion, but as the lamb. And, and we should probably close with that. You know, I don't know what you guys think about my little story that I mentioned in the beginning. Aaron and I are chopping it up about, you know, whether or not God's personal. And then God hears our conversation about Newton's third law. Do you guys know Newton's third law? I knew that has something to do with Fig Newtons. Yeah, yeah, right. So anyways, he's listening to us. He's so personal. The, the, the other day, it was yesterday as a matter of fact, I was praying, and I'm just going to share this with you guys, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but uh, sometimes when I'm praying, I like to listen to praise music. So I'll, I'll spend my time in prayer, and then usually I'll, I'll just listen to songs and then I'm just praying. I continue praying like that or praising like that, you know. And so I was listening to a song and it was coming to the end of the song. And, um, and I thought of another song. Well, there's another song I want to hear, but I don't remember the name of it. I, I don't remember what album it's on. Oh, I think it's on, on this album. And so most of you guys here have phones that you have your music on, right? And so there I am as this one song is ending I'm desperately trying to, to, to find this song and I don't know where it's at and I don't know the album. I don't really, I don't know the name of the song and I couldn't find it. And so as I'm about to wrap it up, guess what happens? The song started playing. The song that I didn't know the name of it. I didn't know where it was, but I wanted to, to, to hear it because I wanted to sing it. I wanted to pray it. It just came on and I'm like wow Lord you control our TV and you also control my phone and and you play the right song and I was like wow Lord it's so cool how personal you are but but this was the song let me just share it with you guys it's a song by Stephen Chris Chapman it's called the treasure of Jesus and, and, it, and the song is what can I do how can I live to show my world the treasure of Jesus. What will it take? What could I give so they can know the treasure of Jesus? If I can sing, let my songs be full of his glory. If I can speak, let my words be full of his grace. And if I should live or die, let me be found pursuing this prize, the one that alone satisfies the treasure of Jesus. And, and as we close today, you know, I, I was just thinking, man, that's really what it's all about, you guys. It's the treasure of Jesus. I, I pray that we would have a heart, you know, to want to show our world the treasure of Jesus. And, and as we do, and as we're pursuing him, one day, yeah, we, we're, we're going to die. One day, yeah, we're going to get raptured. I don't know when, but all I know is that that's, how I want to live and that's how I want to die.
pursuing the treasure of Jesus because he's the lamb that washes away my sins so thoroughly that he remembers them no more. So if you are not there, I pray that the Lord would just draw you to that place of salvation and sanctification because we, um, we don't want to face him as a lion. We want to face him as a lamb.